Hi, my name is Aisha Zengin. And I'm Alex Rodriguez, and welcome back to Bone Group Banter. As always, we're here to discuss, debate, and share all things musculoskeletal. But first, the news. What's making research news this week, Aisha? So our first headline is from Science Mag. Male brown widow spiders fancy older females, even though they're likely to get eaten. (laughs) Same can be said about uh, humans. eh? (laughs) For brown widow spiders, sex is literally a matter of life and death. If a male chooses an adult female, chances are roughly 50-50 that she'll eat him afterward. But if he mates with a younger sub-adult female, she'll let him live to see another day. The curious thing is that despite the risk of death and the, the fact that younger females are actually the ones that can pump out more spider babies, the males still prefer to copulate with older females. <laughs> Scientists can't explain the curious behaviour, but think that older females may give off enticing pheromones that trick males into the dubious mating arrangement. <laughs> Our second headline is the condescending smiles of others stress us out. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Not all smiles are made equal. In fact, scientists have discovered three types of smiles. Rewarding smiles, which indicate encouragement. Affiliation smiles, which indicate relatability. And dominant smiles, which indicate superiority. The average person can tell them apart easily, judging by the shape and size of the smile and the shape of the eyes. Curious to see how people would subconsciously react to the three different smiles, researchers had 90 men deliver a short speech to a video camera. Immediately after, they watched the video of a male judge react to their speech, supposedly recorded while the speech was delivered. The judges flashed one of the three kinds of smiles. Levels of the stress hormone, called cortisol, increased in all three cases, but surged about three times higher in participants who saw the dominant smiles. The team reports this month in scientific reports. That means that the human brain is wired to react to facial expressions, even without vocal cues. A dominant smile suggests a potential threat, so stress levels increase. It's really interesting. Both those headlines are really interesting, but enough frivolity. Turning to a very uh, serious uh, topic today, which is, can waiting for hip surgery kill you? And this is similar to a previous episode we had with uh, Professor Jackie Senton, the risk of mortality um, uh, post-fractures, but we're sort of looking at what happens uh, in the interim now. So it sounds a bit dramatic, but it's actually quite scary. I came across a study that was published in one of the most prestigious medical journals called the Journal of the American Medical Association in late November 2017. The Canadian researchers wanted to know if there was a link between wait time and 30-day mortality, i.e. the chance of dying, in patients undergoing hip fracture surgery. So as we've said before, hip fractures are likely to become a major health problem in the coming years, as there is an exponential or great, uh, a massive increase in the ageing population um, all around the world. Half of the estimated 6.26 million hip fractures worldwide in 2050 are estimated to be in Asia, predominantly in China and India, obviously because they have the largest populations. But implementing best practice guidance in these countries will prevent the enormous loss of life and costs from the large number of fragility hip fractures approaching in the coming decades, which is why this new study is important. 
So guidelines from the US and Canada recommend surgery within 48 hours and 36 hours in the UK. Whether this actually happens is another story. I tried finding out what the recommendations were in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm pretty sure that we follow what the British do, um, i.e. surgery within 36 hours. So despite every effort toward performing surgery earlier, there is controversy about the acceptable waiting time for treatment. And I, I recall our episode um, with uh, Associate Professor Susan Leal from, from the Alfred, um, the head of orthopaedic surgery, who said something similar, that they do try and get their patients in um, within uh, uh, two days. But it's interesting that we couldn't find a... You know, yeah, the uh, guidelines were just yeah. pages and pages and yeah, pages and hard, there was... A hard, yeah. hard sort of deadline. So these are variable policies and inconsistent guidelines are the result of a lack of evidence for a time to surgery thresholds or like how, how close do you need to perform the surgery from, from the time of fracture. And so some of the problems of the studies include that wait times have been measured imprecisely in days, for instance, and arbitrarily divided into early and delayed groups. On what basis do you describe something as early or late? Decreasing statistical power to find um, differences. So what is so different about the new study, you know, you're probably thinking? Well, the calculation of precise patient surgical wait times in hours rather than days is possible in Ontario, Canada, which hasn't been before. This is where this, uh, the study was conducted. So the objective of this study was to use these data at the population levels, so not just a, which, let's just recruit, uh, recruit a group of patients. They're looking at everything across the, um, the health system to establish a time to surgery threshold before the risk of complications increases. So who was included in the study? Adults who were going to have a hip fracture surgery in Ontario, which is one of the states in Canada, between 2009 and 2014 were included. In total, there are about 42,000 patients who met the inclusion criteria with an average age of 80 years, where 70% were women. The average time to surgery was 38.8 hours. The researchers did some fancy statistical analysis. I won't bore you with the details and just go straight ahead to some of the main findings. So what they first found was that at about 24 hours was the time when the risk of developing complications began to increase, irrespective of the outcome or follow-up period. So they defined delayed hip fracture surgery as surgery occurring more than 24 hours after arriving at the emergency department. So according to this definition, 34% received early surgery, so less than 24 hours, and 66% received delayed surgery, so after 24 hours. Patients that received delayed surgery likely to be men, have a medical condition, some other medical condition, arrive from other healthcare institutions, i.e. a nursing home, for instance, and be treated at academic or high-volume uh, centres. These are like teaching or university hospitals, I think we call them here in Australia. So to draw comparisons, they matched the patients in the early to the delayed group. What they found that patients who received hip fracture surgery after 24 hours, uh, 6.5% um, died within 30 days, and 5.8% who received surgery within the 24 hours, the early um, group, um, uh, so, uh, which means an absolute risk difference of 0.079%. So the, uh, the risk... Um, uh, the risk of death between those that had uh, the surgery early versus those that was late, and that might not seem like much, 0.79%. But they also looked at the death rate at 90 days, 
So in the early group, this was 10.7% uh, versus delayed, which was 12%, an absolute risk difference of 1.35. It's going up now. And after one year, those that received surgery early was a 19.3% death rate versus those who received surgery delayed, which is 21.6%. So the absolute risk difference now is even greater at 2.31%. So there's a lot of uh, uh, percents and whatnot there, but what all this means is that your chance of dying, even after one year, is increased if your hip fracture is delayed for more than 24 hours. So that effect of delay still persists one year later. Wow. So, so it really highlights the point that it's critical that once you present to an emergency department with a hip fracture, that you're treated for surgery, with surgery, within that first um, 24 hours. They also looked at the various complications as to why patients were dying in the delayed group. Some of these included a blood clot, a blood clot in the lung. So at 30 days, the early group's... Um, chance of dying was 0.7% versus the delayed group of 1.2%. And the absolute risk difference was 0.5%. And this uh, risk was similar at um, one year's post-surgery. Pneumonia, which is when the air sacs in your lungs are filled with fluid or pus. So at 30 days um, in the early group, this was 3.7% versus the delayed group, 4.6%. Um, and this absolute risk difference was 0.95%. Again, this risk was similar at one year post-surgery. And myocardial infarction or a heart attack. So at 30 days post-surgery um, in the early group, this was 0.8%. In the delayed group, this was 1.2%. So again, I share a lot of stats here. So what does um, all of this mean? So there were no differences in surgical complications between groups. So people didn't die because something went wrong in the surgery. During the surgery. Yeah. So basically, this study showed us that in adults who are having a hip fracture surgery in Ontario, Canada, increased weight, increased weight time, so delaying getting surgery, was linked to a greater risk of dying at 30 days and having other complications. And this seemed to persist even after one year, which is uh, incredible just to think about it in those terms. Yeah. So targeting surgery within 24 hours represents a significant change in practice because 66% of the patients in this study did not receive surgery within this time frame. Hip fracture prioritisation must also be balanced with the needs of the patients on waiting lists for other surgical procedures. Because time to surgery rather than timing of surgery is associated with increased risk, continuing to conduct hip fracture operations during evenings and weekends may help reduce wait times for hip fracture surgery without conflicting with elective operations. However, other performance improvement efforts will be required, as well as future work that identifies where these efforts would be most successfully targeted. I guess um, this also highlights the need or the greater uh, need for awareness um, in for, for, the, for our bones, that a hip fracture is a significant life-threatening um, uh, event. And so all specialties across the hospitals need to, need to appreciate this fact. That's right. So coming full circle, this study is extremely important, uh, particularly in countries that are predicted to have an increase in the number of hip fractures, as we mentioned uh, earlier in this podcast, and they might not have the hospital capabilities to deliver surgeries within 24 hours. Simply having the surgery within 24 hours of fracture can literally save your life. The, health, the healthcare systems in countries need to take this seriously and make changes to the hospital system to ensure that this happens. I know it is easier said than done, but something needs to change if we are to stop 
all these people from dying just because of delayed surgery. So that's all we have time for today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and get in touch via Twitter or email if you have any questions. Thanks for your time and see you next week. Bye for now.